I need to find out who that is singing. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Who is it? You don't know either? You don't know? We would be cooler if we listened to music like that, Jamal. I know. I want to be that old 50-year-old guy, right, who's at the stoplight, and some young people are pulling up hearing that, thinking they're going to see somebody that looks like Tara, and then they're going to see this white beard and go, wow, I wish my dad was like that, right? I know. I know. I'm shallow, but that's all right. I'm honest about it. I'm honest about it. I'm honest about it. So, good deal. Hey, I'm going to get into this message in a minute, but I just I want to share this story about something that, that happened to me last night. Vanessa and I, you know, our, our, uh, our youngest, Claire, is, is at Origins, so this is her first time of being on a youth getaway, you know, overnight, and, and, uh, and so all three of ours are there uh, for the weekend, and so we realized, hello, date night, right? Friday night, and so we went out and, and uh, went to the, to the movies, AMC Hampton, right? I, the, the greatest thing about Paragon Theaters coming to, to the city is that everybody else has to up their game, right? It's, it's just the beauty of the free market economy, and so it's competition, and so now they've got all these amazing reclaimers and sound systems and screens, and so bless you, Sarah. And so, so, oh, oh spray there. Let's step back here. So, she's in practice. She's one of our practice nine interns, so it's okay. It's all right. Some of you are like, I can't believe he just did that, right? So, so we were at the movie theater, and we were, and we were watching, and, uh, and, and, and this guy came in a little bit late, about two seats over to my right, there was already a guy there, and so uh, they were clearly, he was coming looking for his friend. It's dark. He's fumbling around a little bit, and he finds him and plops down, and there's just this smell that's, that's unfortunately familiar to me, and it's, it's the smell of a, of a binge drinking for days, right? If, you've ever, if that's been a part of your story, it's part of my story, uh, and, and somebody, it might be part of your story even now in your journey. And there's a difference between the smell of someone who's drinking right now, right? So Paul's nodding his head. He's a law enforcement. He's like, and, and then there is a smell of a person who's been drinking for days. It, there's a, it's, it's just, it's, it, there, it's, it's just, it's an ugly smell. And that's this smell. And so the whole time during the movie, I'm praying for this guy because I'm like, that was me. Right? That's, that's my journey. That's my story. How many times did I come into a movie theater and smell like that and sit a few seats down from a follower of Christ and they didn't reach out to me in any way? And so during the whole movie, I'm thinking, God, I, you know, I want to I wanna reach out to this guy, but, you know, I don't want to be awkward. I want it to be impactful. And so, you know, I'm praying, God, what am I, what do you want me to say? And, and uh, you're thinking, you're a pastor, you know what to say. I don't know what to say in those moments any more than you do, right? I'm, they don't, I'm not Pastor Fred there. You with me? I'm a stranger there. I'm a stranger there. And, and, uh, and so I'm just praying. I feel like God says, you know, it, hey, quit. It's not a big, just talk to the guy, right? Don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. So part of the reason I'm telling you the story is just for you. It's just, you know what? It doesn't have to be complicated. Just strike up a conversation. And so it's like, okay, if, you know, God, you're going to have to create an opportunity. And so I had a, I I had have run out of reach cards. I need to get some tonight, but I had a business card in my wallet. And so I slipped it out of my wallet and put it in my pocket. And when the movie was over, I'm thinking, I'm just looking, I'm just looking for a, a God-ordained moment. You with me? And so he was up out of the seat and out of the theater, just lightning fast. And, uh, and so I thought, well, okay, you know, maybe it's not going to happen. And so we get down into the, into the hallway and I see that, that uh, you know, everybody's breaking for the bathroom and he's standing at the end of this little alcove 
all by himself, right? There's tons of people in the movie theater. Not one person is in this, just him, all by himself. And I'm thinking, right, this is God just making it easy. He, he makes it easy for us if we're open, right? And so I just, I walked up and I said, could I give you this, could I give you a card, right? I had it face up so you could see that it was a business card. I said, could I give you, could I give you this card? And I said, so I just knew I just needed to be bold. I said, when you came into the movie theater and sat a couple of seats over from me, you smelled like you've been drinking for a few days. And that was part of, that was my story for five years, for five years. And I'm just giving you this card because if you want to reach out, you can call me and we can talk. And he looked up and he said, thank you, sir. Thank you. And then he just turned and walked away. And I thought, you know what? One day he's going to call. He's going to find that number, right? And what a story that's going to be. And I'm just telling you that story because I'm telling you, those moments aren't easy for me. I get it, right? We're strangers to people. It's hard to step into moments of being conspicuous. And I just want to encourage you, step into those moments. And so on the way home, I'm telling Vanessa the story and we're just realizing, you know, he probably has parents that are praying for him. He didn't, you know, he didn't look down and out. He was just, you know, normal young adult, having fun, dressed up, right? He, he, he didn't look like a person that was, you know, the, the I don't know what you want to say, but because I don't want to offend anybody, but you know what I mean, right? He didn't look like he was, didn't have a job or anything like that. And, and uh, so we thought, you know, I bet he's got parents that are praying for him, right? God sent people across his path. Those prayers, God hears and he wants to send you. He wants to send me. And so let's, can we just pray for him? I don't even know his name before we, but Father, we lift up this young man that was just a few seats over last night. God, that maybe he's been on the website. Maybe he's listening. To, maybe, God, he's going to listen to the podcast for tonight and realize this is him we're talking about. And we just want to say to you right now, if you're listening, make that call. God has a plan for your life, and it's the greatest adventure that you could ever hope for. The sense of satisfaction that you find in that glass, he wants to give you that in your heart. Like the woman at the well, you will never thirst again. Father, we say, let it be. And Father, find us courageous in these moments of outreach. God, in Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said together, amen. 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 So we are in a new series. It's entitled Why, and we're just in it for a few weeks. We just wanted to take a few weeks just to maybe talk a little bit about some of the things that, that, that we feel make city life unique or things that we value or things that are important to us. So many visitors have, visitors have been coming over the last couple of months, and we said, let's just, let's just slide in a series that helps us communicate a little bit about who we are. So last week we talked about we are teaching pulpit. We cover a lot of ground here. So you're, you're always going to find the notes online so you can download that because a lot of times we cover more ground than maybe what you would prefer or that what you can keep up with taking notes so the outlines are always there and then also through version, the sermons are embedded in version. and so if you've got a smartphone you can download that app uh, and the, the, uh, the, the messages in there it self-populates all the verses and so forth and so it's really cool you should check that out and so that really helps you so and then that uh, those notes are up online all week and of course the podcasts are available too so, so when, when, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, I was born in, in 67, and so when I was growing up, there were no cell phones, 
and aghast, right? All the young people that aren't here would, right, they'd be like, what? And so there, there, were, there were no, so, and my dad worked for what was Western Electric and then eventually became AT&T, and uh, he worked for them. And so when, when the first bag phones came out, he brought one home. He had one. He, one was given to him, right? And, and, and they, they could hold a charge for about, about three minutes and 14 seconds, right? It was this bag. It looked like a big day planner, and I know that many of you don't even know what that is. So, so, uh, so it looked like a big day planner, had an antenna and had the little squiggly, you know, cord that connected the phone. And, and the reason why it was so big is because the battery pack was so big. And even then it didn't last very long. But I remember thinking I was really cool. My dad would let me use it. And I was a young adult and we would go out and I'd play golf with my buddies, right? And we had the bag phone in the back, like we were some business executive or something, you know, it was crazy and couldn't even get a stinking signal out there, right? And, uh, but it looked good because again, I'm shallow. And so, so, <laughs> So, but my dad, my dad all growing up, he always answered the phone, praise the Lord. That's how he answered the phone, right? And, and when, I was, when I was younger, I thought it was cool. And when I got to be a teenager, I was a little bit embarrassed. And, and then when I got a, a little bit older, I thought, I love my dad for that, right? He just, I, can I tell you how many conversations he had with people on the phone about Jesus just because he answered the phone that way? Praise the Lord. Every time he answered the phone, praise the Lord. And I thought, what a great thing to say to people to remind them that there is a Lord and they might not know him and it might create a little bit of curiosity in them. In in tonight's message, we're going to be talking about praising the Lord, but not by the way that you answer the phone, but it has the same impact. It means being willing to be conspicuous and public with your faith in Christ because of the impact that it could have on someone else. And what we're going to talk about tonight is this idea of praising the Lord and the way that we just did it through song and through worship and through dance and through expression. And and part of the reason why we're called into the most moments of praise is we're going to talk about tonight. It's not just for you and it's not just for God. It's for the people that walk into the room and need a witness that God is alive and they see something in you through your worship that inspires them to want to get to know them. Worship is like are answering the phone in a public way, and it points people to Jesus. So if you've got your your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 122. Psalm 122, if you're a new version, you're already going to be there. If you've got a device, you can swipe there, whatever app you're using, Psalm 122. And I want to read verses 1 through 5. These first five verses, I believe, tell us about about four things that you should find in a church when you come. We're not going to talk about the last few, but I'm going to explain that just briefly. Uh, This might be a good text, actually, for one of our next welcome weekends to talk about who we are as a church in its entirety. But let me me just start with verse 1. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Right? That's a a good one to just start with, right? Are you glad to be here or are you here reluctantly? Are, are you here because out of a sense of obligation? Or are you here because someone made you be here, right? The, the Bible says, no, no, let there be gladness that enters into your heart when you realize I get to go to church today. Saturday night should be one of your highlights every single week because you're glad to be in God's presence with God's people. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now here we are, standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be reached. Breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make a pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord, as the law requires in Israel. 
Here stand, here stand the thrones where judgment is given in the thrones of the dynasty of David. Now, in these few verses, I believe you find four things that God is saying in a prophetic sense. It's not just about Israel. It's about the church that you should find when you come to church. It should be a place of safety. It talks about Jerusalem and its walls cannot be breached. A church should be a place where you feel safe. It should be a place where you feel safe relationally, where you feel safe emotionally. It should be a place where you feel safe spiritually. One of my prayers that I pray every week is that there's going to be 90 minutes of spiritual clarity for every person when they come into this room. That the lies of the enemy that he's whispering in our ear, the own myths that we bought into through our own journeys and our own brokenness, that it's just going to be 90 minutes of spiritual clarity that the Holy Spirit's going to be the dominant influencer of our will, that it's a safe place. You find here when it talks about all the different tribes of Israel coming together, the church should be a place of diversity. Right? There, there should be ethnic diversity. There should be age diversity. There should be socioeconomic diversity. We want City Life to be a diverse place. I'm going to skip the next one because that's really going to be our text uh, or our theme tonight. The last one, this idea, it's a place of judgment. Now, we don't like this one, but this is an important one. The church should be a place of accountability. The church should be a place, when you call a church home, when you call it a family, there should be people there that love you enough to have hard conversations with you. I want to be in a part of a church where people love me enough to have hard conversations with me. We want people that are in our blind spot helping us see what we can't see about ourselves. It's one of the things that makes a church healthy. But right there, you also find that it's supposed to be a place of worship, right? It, it says that, that, that they come to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Now, the last few verses, six through nine, talk about what the church should expect from you, about peace and prosperity and deference. Again, we're not going to talk about that, but this whole text here in Psalm 1, 22 is a is a is is prophetic in the sense of it speaking about the church. And one of the things that's right here, right in the middle of it, is that the church should be a place of worship. It should be a place of praise. It should be a place that when you go there, you should expect that you're going to be challenged and encouraged and inspired to step into place of declaring the glory and the goodness of God. Let me just say, too, before we dig into I've got four things I'm going to try to cover tonight. We'll see if time allows for all of it. But the, 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 that we are not into contemporary worship. That's not what we're into. We're into ancient worship. We're into ancient worship. What we do cannot be more ancient. Now, it's modern and contemporary in the, in the sense of the technology that we use, right? I, I get it. That's modern, right? Did, they, did the disco ball, did, you, did they turn that on during the worship set? I was like, they were doing that. When I was in here earlier looking at my notes and praying, I was like, use that because that's really cool, right? I know. It was good, wasn't it? I know. I know. All right, right? I'm shallow. All right, I'm just saying. So, so the, uh, um, they didn't have disco balls when the Old Testament was written, right? We get it, right? We get it. But what we do, it couldn't be more ancient. It's, it's psalmic worship. It's worship that is expressive. It's worship that's impassioned. It's worship where there are instruments. The instruments we use today are different. Some of them are not different. Some of them are very similar. Some of them we don't use anymore. Some of the instruments that we use can trace their heritage back to the instruments that they used then. There were bands. In fact, it's, there was a whole group of priests out of the Levites. That was their ministry to the nation is that they were musicians raised up by God to lead the people in worship. What we do here is we want to get, as, as a church, 
we're not trying to, 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 to give you a modern alternative to what the world is offering you. We're trying to go back to our roots that we find in the book of Psalms and say, let's bring that back into the world today. All right, so the first one I want to tell you is that our praise is participatory, right? Our praise is participatory, meaning that you're expected to engage with us. We want you to participate. So let me read you Psalm 150. We're going to be reading several Psalms tonight. So Psalm 150, it says, praise the Lord, praise God, where? In his sanctuary, right? When you come into places like this, praise him in his mighty heaven, praise him for his mighty works, praise his unequaled greatness, Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn and praise him with the lyre and the harp. The lyre was a, a, a harp instrument. It was U-shaped. It was U-shaped and it was, it was a stringed instrument with the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals, right? Sound guys were loud then and they're loud today. You with me, right? It's right here, right? God says, hey, make some noise. There's a time for quiet reverence. There's a time for reflection, but there is a time, there is a time to be loud because we're excited about celebrating the goodness of God in our lives. It's ancient what we're doing here. Listen to this, verse 6. I think verse 6 is in here because up until this point, you might be saying, I'm not a musician. The only instrument I probably could play would be cymbals, and even then I probably wouldn't hit them at the right time, right? I, I don't have a voice. I can't sing like Tara sings. I can't dance like they, David Godwin dances, right? You, you're going to have all the excuses for why you can't do any of this, and the Holy Spirit knew that. So when the Bible was being written, I think the Holy Spirit says, hey, can we add a verse to Psalm 150? Can we add one in here? Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord, right? So if we had you put your hand up in front of your face and go, ah. if your eyes water, you need a breath mint, right? <laughs> but if you feel something on your hand, God says, I expect you to worship me. That's the, that's the expectation, that you're alive and that you're here. That's it. That's what God says. I don't care what your voice sounds like. I don't care if you've got rhythm, Right? And I don't, I don't care if, 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 if you can do it like, like the, the musicians are called to do it. You're called to do it where you are as you can because you have breath and my glory demands it from you. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All of us, right? There's Catholicism. There's Protestantism, there's amillennialism and, 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 and all kinds of isms, right? Calvinism, Arminianism, and there's also what I like to call picking and choosingisms, right? And it is the most popular form of Christianity is picking and choosingisms, right? It's I'm going to pick this part of Christianity, I'm going to choose that part of Christianity, but I really don't like that part over here, and I don't like that part over here. It's this, this idea that, that I'm going to, we're so used to being able to customize in our Western culture everything we want to get it exactly like we want it. Christianity comes to us prepackaged, and God says, all of this is for you whether you think it fits you or not. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You might say, well, it's not really in my personality. It's not really, a part. It's not really in, my, in, my, in my wheelhouse. It makes me… Un Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You can't take that verse out of your Bible. 
You can take it out of your Bible if you want to, but you can't take it out of the truth that God has given to us. And we have a responsibility to say, God, where my life does not line up with this book, I want to bring my life in alignment with the truth that you have. So get me to a place, oh God, this is a great prayer, get me to a place where I can begin to praise you. Now, I love the first few words that you find right here in Psalm 150. And I think everything in the Bible is instructive. You've heard me say this before. The words that God picked, it's all designed to teach us something. And this idea of praise the Lord, and then it shifts to praise God, these are in here for a reason. Because God's telling us about worship. And so before He tells us about worship, guess who He tells us about? He tells us about Himself. Because why are we worshiping? We're worshiping because who He is. And so So God says, if they're going to worship the way they're supposed to, they need to know who I am. And so right here in the beginning of Psalm 50, God says, let's tell them who I am because then that will help them worship me. It says, praise the Lord, and then it says, praise God. This word, Lord, in the, in the ancient Hebrew, it would have been the word Yahweh. Now, Hebrew is an interesting, interesting language. There are no vowels in Hebrew. If you think English is hard for you in America… Can you imagine trying to learn how to spell with just consonants? But that's what it was. Hebrew, the the vowel sounds are only learned through oral tradition. There are no consonants in Hebrew. And so when they began to translate the Bible from Hebrew into Greek and then eventually from Greek and into Latin, they had, to, they had these words. They're like, what the heck is that, right? Y-H-W-H. How am I supposed to say that, right? How? And so they began to make words that are called transliterations that would try to capture the meaning of the word. That's where we get the word Jehovah from, right? They were in here worshiping and during the, the practice, and I was like, that's cool. We're singing a song about Jehovah tonight. We're talking about that name, right? We've grown up in the church our whole lives, and we just see that word over and over and over again. But where does that word come from? It comes from the word Yahweh, which is the name that God gives him of himself to us. Now, and this is what it means. Jehovah, which comes again from Yahweh, It means that he is sovereign over everything and everyone. That means that we belong to him. That's what it means. He's sovereign over everything and everyone. Whether you want to choose to submit to him or not, it does not change that he has the right to rule over us and to govern over his people. These first few verses here, listen to what it says. It says, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heaven, and praise him for his mighty works, praise his unequaled greatness. These first few verses, I think, inspired Jesus to give us the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, right? Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It means that he has unequaled greatness. That's what hallowed means. It means he's holy. It means that none's like him. Where is he? He's in the heavens. What does that mean? It means that he's all-knowing. It means that he's all-powerful. It means that he's ever-present. I think when Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray, it was the same as when, when the Holy Spirit was teaching and through the psalm writers, many of them through David, were trying to teach a nation how to worship. If you don't know who he is, then you're not going to want to worship him. If you don't know who he is, you're not going to want to pray to him. But if you get a revelation of who he is, you can't stop singing and you can't stop praying. Right? And so God says here, I want you to know, I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord. That's how it translates to us. They also had another Hebrew word that meant Lord. It, meant, it was the word Adonai. It means sovereign. It means that he is the ruler over 
everything. And then it says, praise God, right? And that's because there was a shift in the language because there's something else that God wants us to know about Him if we're going to be inspired to worship. So He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. And if that's not enough, God says, let's give Him something else. Let's give Him the name Elohim. And so, in a lot of the, 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 the ancient writings, they would just use abbreviations, right? It would just be E-L. They were texting and tweeting long before any of the technology came out, right? They just needed to shorten it up a little bit. Those scribes, their hands, they would get tired, right? So they're just shortening those little words. See, everything's going back to ancient times. You just didn't know it. Young people think they're, they're current. They just, they didn't know how old they are. El, Elohim, it means the mighty one. So many names of God begin with E-L, right? If you grew up in the, in, the, in the 80s like I did, Amy Grant had a song that was? See, a lot of old people in here tonight just like me. El Shaddai, right? I'm not going to sing it because that would be bad. Vestinus is like, no, don't. I just did that just for her, just to frighten her just a little bit, right? So El Shaddai, you know what it means? It means almighty. You know what Elohim means? It means the mighty one. It's this idea of God is saying it was Kim's word tonight. She wasn't reading in my notes, but this was her word tonight, right? This is part of what we believe in the church is the moving of the prophetic. We're going to get to that in just a minute and how that works with worship, right? She's saying he can do anything. He conquered death. What else in your life is bigger than that? He's almighty. When, when you begin to realize that the Lord is your God, how can you not praise him? When you begin to realize that this person that we're talking about right here is your God, how can you not praise him? Deuteronomy 7, 9. Let me give you this one. It says, understand, therefore, the Lord your God, come on, the Lord our God is indeed God, Elohim, the mighty one. He is, and then the name shifts. We don't see it because it's in the English, but in the Hebrew, it shifts from Elohim to El Amon. He is the faithful God, Amon El, who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. It's one of the most overlooked names of God is this idea of the Amon El or El Amon. It's where when you pick up in the story of John chapter 3, and Jesus says, if you've got the King James, it says, verily, verily, I say unto you. More modern translation says, truly, truly, I say unto you. What Jesus said in, in Aramaic there, he said, aman, aman, right? He's pulling out of this text. All the Jewish people in the crowd would have understood exactly what he's saying. He's saying that, that the same way that you trust that God is true to his word, you can trust me. And then that word, you know what that name of God has given us? It's the word amen. That's where we got that from. Amen came from Amman, and it came from Deuteronomy. That's why we end our prayers with saying amen. It's our declaration. God, you can do it. You can do anything. I know that you are faithful. I know that you love me. I know that you care about me. I know that I can trust you with this concern that I brought to you. I know that you are my Jehovah, that you are my Elohim. If that does not inspire you to worship, breathe on your hand again because you might be dead. How can we not want to praise him? How can we not? Our praise is participatory. It's not a spectator sport here at the City Life Church because we believe these things. We want you to believe these things, and it should cause something called praise to well up out of your life. Our praise is public. See, because you might say, Fred, I'm willing to do all that, but I just want to do it in my home where nobody's looking. I'm willing to do all that. I just don't want to do it in front of people. 
I'm willing to do all that. I'm willing to, if, oh, Fred, if you could see me worshiping at my house, whoo, breaking down some strongholds. My neighbor's brick wall just fell down just the other day, right? We called it Jericho. It just, my, there was so much glory coming out of my living room. But then you come here and you're, 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 you're hand in the pocket, God. I got nothing, right? Why is that? Because I think that sometimes, sometimes, we don't like this idea of being conspicuous, which is why I told you that story. Our praise is supposed to be public. And just in case you think I'm making it up, let's turn to Psalm 40, verse 3. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord. Why? Because they see your worship. They see your praise. They see your celebration. It causes them to say, why are they celebrating God? Why are they so excited? It creates an opportunity for you to begin to tell a story. Our praise is supposed to be public. Psalm 96, 1 through 3. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Listen, each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish. That's a public word. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things that he has done. Now, I get it. Part of us, based on our personality, we don't like to feel conspicuous. We cannot let our humanity, we cannot let our humanity give us a sense of permission to, 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 to walk in a place of disobedience to God's Word. I'm not telling you that it's easy. I get it. I remember when I first started going to church with my parents because I went to the church because I had to because I wasn't glad growing up when they said to me that we had to go to the house of the Lord. So when I was old enough to not go, I didn't, and I didn't go for many years, and that's part of my journey of those five years in a bottle. And then when I started to go back, when God began to reach out to me, and I, I began to get back into this place called church, I felt terribly conspicuous that everybody was watching me, that everybody was looking at me, can we just agree none of us are that important? Because they weren't. They weren't looking at me. They weren't watching me. And people aren't looking at you and watching you here. And so you might feel, I feel awkward when I clap or, or, or I don't really know the words to the songs or I can't sing on beat. Well, that's okay. Then just don't sing loud enough to bother people, right? But sing. But sing, right? If you want to sing loud when you can't sing without bothering people, come sit with me on the front row. We can sing bad together, right? I can't sing either, right? But I'm not going to let what I can't do stop me from doing what I know I'm called to do. I've got to be willing to be conspicuous. I've got to be willing to be public. There's a mandate that Scripture gives to me to live a conspicuous life as a Christian. We like to say here at City Life, hey, we get it. Christianity is deeply personal. It was never intended to be private. Worship is deeply, deeply personal. It was never intended to be private. Genesis to Revelation, put your worship out there in the world. We're not going to turn there for the sake of time, but John 12, 27 to 30 is a great text where Jesus talks about, this is one of the moments where God's voice uh, spoke out of heaven to say something over his, his son. And, and, and Jesus said, it was not for me, it was for you. This idea of we've got to be willing to do things publicly for the benefit of other people. 
it's one of the ways that we serve. Maybe the next step for you is to just sing along. Let me just give you some practical. Just sing along. Even if you're just mouthing the words, take a step towards participation that is public. Start clapping your hands, right? If you have a hard time staying on beat, then just clap with the same rhythm of the people that are around you. Begin to engage your body. We're going to talk about why that's important in just a minute. But just begin to clap your hands. Just, you know what? Just get your hands out of your pockets, and then you'll get there, right? Unfold your arms, right? Put your body in a place where it can begin to be participatory so that you can be public because there's a witness that God wants you to bring to the world through your worship. And me too. Raise your hands just above the elbows. Right? You don't, you don't have to be the person that's at the altar with, with your, 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 you're trying to reach the theatrical lights. Right? You don't have to be that person. There might, be, there might come a time in your life where you're perfectly fine with that, and there are people that are perfectly fine with that, and we are too, because these altars are always open during our worship. You might need to just get on your knees. But, but if that makes you uncomfortable, he's not going to ask you to start there. He brings us along, right? I, I joke with people all the time, really the first step towards ancient worship is just palms out, right? Just get your hands out of your pockets and just, boop. You can just, just do it really quick. <laughs> Nobody will see. You can one-hand it. You can create a distraction, point over there, and then do like this so they don't see, right? Just, just do something. I, I remember when I was in my 20s in a worship service just like this and wanting to raise my hands for the first time, I, I literally felt like a spotlight had come on me and over the intercom system, we've got a first-time hand raiser in aisle four, seat 22, first-time hand raiser, right? I get it. You feel conspicuous. You cannot let your humanity rob you of your destiny. Do not do it. At some point, you have to have authority over yourself. At some point, you have to have authority over yourself. We believe in something called self-governance here at City Life. You've got a Garden of Eden, and it's your life. It's your domain. And you've got to say to yourself, like David said it all the time, right? David was a little schizophrenic. He talked to himself a bunch, right? When you read in the Psalms where it says, my soul will bless the Lord, right? That's David saying, soul, we're blessing the Lord today. I know that you don't want to, right? I know my son is trying to, to, to dethrone me and he wants to kill me. We're going to bless the Lord today. You got to tell yourself, you're coming into church, give yourself a pep talk. We're blessing the Lord. Palms out first time. It's going to happen tonight, Right? Tell yourself, you, get, you, gotta, you have to have authority over yourself. Your emotions, your mind, your heart, your desires, all of those were given to you for you to rule over, to tell them what to do so that you can engage your life into the kingdom and fulfill your destiny. Those things weren't given to you to drive you. Those things were given to you, and they were given to me to serve me. I have to have authority over them. When we don't make gathering, that means coming to church. That means being glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. When we don't make gathering a priority every weekend, we diminish the impact of our lives in worship. You might say, well, it doesn't matter if I'm not there. Read these verses again. Download them. It matters. It matters when you're not here. It matters when you are here, and it matters when you are here what you do when you come. Participate and be public. 
I'm going to mention this next point, then I'm going to skip it because I really want to do the last one. But the next one is our praise is professing. It's professing. And the point that I just want to give you there is that our sin causes us to want to hide from the only one who can truly heal. See, one of the reasons why I felt so conspicuous when I first started coming back to church is that I knew the life that I was still living, and I wasn't sure I was ready to give up that life, but I knew that I needed to be in church. And what I would say, if that's you, don't stop coming to church. Don't stop coming. Deal with the discomfort. Do not hide from the one who can heal your heart. Do not hide from the one who can set you free. And I'm open about my story because I want people to know. Because sometimes people say, well, that's easy for you to say. Look at you, that you're a pastor and it's life's easy for you. My my life was ugly. And if he can redeem me, he can redeem you. I was one of those kids that my parents had calluses on their knees praying that that if if I was going to stop listening to them, that God was going to send people across my path. And that's exactly what happened. It's one of the reasons why we're so excited about the next generation in this church. It's one of the reasons why we reach out so hard to young adults and to our youth and to our young people is that we want them to know there is nothing that this stinking world has to offer that can hold a candle to what God wants to call us to do. Are there boundaries? You better believe there's boundaries. All of those boundaries are to protect us from mediocrity and to lead us into better pleasures than this world could never manufacture even on its best day. All right. Our praise is participatory. Our praise is public. Our praise is professing. It's one of the ways that we begin to deal with our sin in our lives. But the last one I want to get to is our praise is prophetic. There's a prophetic nature to praise and to worship. It's part of, again, Kim coming up tonight and feeling as though God had some, told her something. And, and that's an, we're open to that, right? If we know you, right? If we know you and, and, and you're somebody that we feel that we can trust that can really represent God, that's important to us, right? We're not just going to give the mic to anybody because we have a responsibility, right, to, to, to let someone sow something into your heart. So we want to know who they are, and right? So Kim is someone that we know and trust. So she comes up and she says, hey, I've got something to share. We're like, all right, come on, let's hear what God wants to say and how great. It's just tying right into what we're talking about, that's called the prophetic. That's what it's called. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be odd. You don't have to talk in the King James, right? You, you, right? you can just say what you feel like it, God is telling you to say. And that was an awesome word. And she also had really cool shoes for a mom, right? Can we just agree on that? I know. It was awesome. I was like, she's kind of great shoes and a great message from God. It's just, it's a twofer. All right. But, so we do live worship and live teaching at all of our campuses. And it's always going to be that way. I'm not saying that churches that do it differently are doing it wrong. I'm just saying that's not our way. It's not our way. Because if, if, if you've got something coming in on, on a screen, then you've got a, you've got a time clock that you're bound to. Do we have a service agenda? Yes, we do. Do we pray over that? Do we try to put a plan together we feel like that God wants to do? Yes, we do. But there's a spontaneous side to who God is, and sometimes he wants to switch things up. It wasn't on the agenda for Kim to come and share. So we want to be able to ebb and flow in the service based on what God wants to say and what he wants to do. And we can't do that if we're locked in to a screen and hitting play at a certain time. So we want live teaching and live worship at every campus that we ever plan. That's the way it is here. That's the way it is in Williamsburg. And that's the way it's going to be in Suffolk. And that's the way it's going to be with every campus that we ever plan. Ezekiel 6.11. Ezekiel 6.11. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Clap your hands in horror and stamp your feet and cry out 
because of all the detestable sins the people of Israel have committed. Now they're going to die from war and famine and disease. That's a weighty verse, isn't it? Why am I sharing that with you? Because clapping your hands, stomping your your foot, raising your hands, dancing before the Lord, that's not just rhythmic participation. It is rhythmic participation. It's one of the ways that we engage. It's one of the ways that we're public with our worship. But it's beyond rhythmic participation. We're going to read a few more verses. They are prophetic gestures. When you begin to do these things that the Bible says that you should do, and you do it with the intent of a certain kind of praise or a certain kind of prayer, the Bible says that it can effect change. Now, how does that work? I don't know. Let's ask God together when we get there. But God says that it does. And this verse in Ezekiel is about stepping into a place of intercession for people whose lives are bound up by the ugliness of sin. I can just tell you so many times when I'm praying for people, sometimes praying for people in the church who, who I know their lives are just locked into something that's ugly. I'm walking around the sanctuary at North Riverside Baptist Church where we office just praying like this. Come on, just praying. Why, why am I doing that? Because the Bible talks about it, right? I can't tell you how it works. I can't tell you why it makes sense. There is a mystery to divinity that humanity will never understand. And if in your humanity you say, I will never do it until I understand everything that's divine, you're not going to do a whole lot in your life. Not going to do a whole lot in your life. You're not. This idea of clapping your hands. The Bible talks about how we clap our hands all through Psalms. It's a prophetic declaration of the goodness of God. It's about the joy that's in my heart. It's not just about rhythmic participation. It's a prophetic declaration. And then you begin to move a little bit. You begin to sway. It's part of you being public. You're sending a message to the room. I love God. He loves me. He's got a plan for your life. He doesn't love me anymore. You didn't even know you were saying all of that. You just thought you were doing something called rhythmic participation. You might not have even known it was even called that. But I'll tell you something else that it's called. It's prophetic. You might say, well, I'm not sure God's ever going to give me something to say to come to the front in the microphone. That might be true, but he's going to give you something to do right in your seat that's just as prophetic, just as impactful, and that could reach someone else. I remember when I was 20-some years old going into that church and thinking to myself, I think these people maybe have had more to drink than me, but they have not, and they're happier, and they don't feel like, you know what? the next day. And they're not thirsty in a way that's desperate the next day. They're just joy-filled. Not perfect, not a perfect life, not perfect people, but something inside of them, it was real. And I wanted it, and I had been looking for it my whole life. And God calls you into places just like this, on nights just like this, to begin to engage in worship, to participate, to be public, to to begin to practice some of these things that we call prophetic gestures. Listen to 1 Timothy 2.8, right? You might say, well, you just found that verse in Ezekiel. You just did a word search for anything that said clap or stomp. Let me just just give you, because they're all over the place, right? Genesis to Revelation, pick up with a reading plan and, and with us in, in, in 2016, read through the whole Bible, right? And make a, make a commitment. You're going to maybe write down every verse that you ever come across that talks about engaging your physical body in worship and prayer, right? You, you get a journal because you're going to have lots of verses to write down. Let's, let me give you another one, 1 Timothy 2.8. In every place of worship, 
I want man, it says men, but it means mankind in the Greek. I want mankind, people, to pray how? Holy hands lifted, up to God. The verse doesn't stop there. What does it say? Free from anger and controversy. It's a, it's a prophetic gesture. We, we come together in worship and prayer. One of the reasons we raise our hands, it's our way of saying, God, I want to be a person that brings unity to my church, not controversy. I, I want to be a person. It's, it's, it's lifting up of our hands. It means lots of things. Does it mean surrender? Yes, it does. does it, is it, is it a, a way to express myself that says I want to be held by God? All those verses are in the Bible too. I like this one because it says, God, I want to, I want to be a unifier in my church. Listen to Psalm 134 too. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary. I'm reading out of the New American Standard here. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. You have the ability in your humanity to create a feeling of happiness in the heart of the creator of the universe. What? Yeah. He's Jehovah. He's Elohim. He's El Shaddai. He's every other name. He's the Amonel. But you know what? He loves for his children to make him smile. Loves for his children to make him smile. When you raise your hands, it's a prophetic gesture. It's you saying, God, I want my life to be pleasing to you. I, I, want, the, I want my life to be a life that makes you smile. I want to be a person that blesses you with all that I am, all of my life. You're going to invite the worship team to come back. Because you knew we were going to give you a chance to do some of this tonight, right? All right. You're thinking, I got to wait. No, you don't have to wait till Saturday. Just got to wait a couple of minutes. Right, let me give you this. I'm, we're going to get off the clock just, just for about five minutes or so. Nothing crazy. Don't get nervous. Your dinner plans are, are safe. Genesis 31. Genesis 31. 8 through 12. For he said, the speckled animals will be your wages. This is Jacob and Laban in a business deal. The whole flock began to produce speckled young. And when he changed his mind and said, the striped animals will be your wages, then the whole flock produced striped young. In this way, God has taken your father's animals. This is, this is, this is actually not in the negotiation. This is him quoting the negotiation. And then this is Jacob complaining to his wife, who's Laban's daughter. In this way, God has taken your father's animals and given them to me. One time during the mating season, I had a dream and saw that the male goats mating with the female goats were streaked, speckled, and spotted. And then in my dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I replied, yes, here I am. And the angel said, look up, and you will see that only the, the streaked and speckled and spotted Spotted males are mating with the females for your flock, for I have seen how Laban has treated you. So right here, Jacob is telling us a story about a vision that he had that God gave him so that when he went into the business deal with Laban, he knew what to negotiate for because God had already told him how he was going to bless him. You tracking with me? All right. Now, let's go to Genesis 30. We understand the Bible in light of itself. Genesis 30, 37 to 39. Then Jacob took some fresh branches from poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled off strips of bark, making white streaks on them. And then he placed these peeled branches in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, for that is where they made it. And when they made it in front of the white streaked branches, they gave birth to young that were streaked and speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated those lambs from Laban's flock. And at mating times, he turned the flock to face Laban's animals that were streaked or blocked. And this is how he built his own flock instead of incre increasing Laban's. You ever read that and go, what are you talking about? Ah. 
how did the sheep come out different because of the direction they were facing or because they were striped in speckled pieces of bark in the water they were drinking? I was went online and I was just, every now and then I like to just go online and, 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 to, and to look at how people that don't believe in the divinity of God, how they explain these things, right? They're trying to explain how all the science that's taking place. I'm thinking, are you, are you kidding me? Because what you're describing right now is in science because that doesn't work. But what does work is the prophetic. It means that when God gives you an insight and then you stand in a place of faith, what does Hebrews tell us? That faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. Prophetic gestures matter. Do those prophetic gestures in and of themselves have the ability to affect change? No, but faith does. Faith does. And so God gave Jacob a vision of how he was going to be blessed. And so when he went into the business deal, he knew what to negotiate for. And then as he began to go out and do the things, he had to still work, right? It wasn't as though God says, you're not going to have to try. He had to work hard. But in his laboring, he inserted some prophetic gestures that were a declaration of his faith unto his God. Cutting up this bark, God, because I believe because I believe. I'm pointing my sheep in the right direction because I believe that God, what you've spoken to me is going to be true. When we come into a place like this, you've got things that you're believing God for. There are things that he's spoken to you and they maybe they seem impossible. Maybe they seem as though like, like, like Kim said that Jesus is just standing outside the door and you wish he would come in. This Over these next five minutes, there's a chance for you to say, Jesus, I want you to come in. And when you raise your hands, it's a prophetic gesture. When you clap your hands, it's a prophetic gesture. You might move a little bit. Let it be a prophetic gesture, not just a moment of rhythmic participation. It's your declaration of faith to God that he can because he is almighty, because he is the sovereign creator of the universe and there is nothing that he cannot do for you. Stand with me as we worship Father, let it be in this moment that you would find in us a day of participation, that you would find in us a day of being public. For some people here, Father, that you would find in us maybe a moment of professing and just beginning to lay our sin at your feet and looking for you to heal and restore and redeem like only you can do. Father, let it be that you would find in us a willingness to lay down some prophetic gestures as a declaration of faith that you can. Come on, let's worship him.